Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. I'm Jennifer Slattery, and if you've listened to many Faith Over Fear episodes, you've probably noticed I am a huge advocate of mental health, of creating safe places where people can honestly share their struggles without feeling like they have to hide or put on a happy face, without feeling judged or like they're a project or like someone else is trying to fix them. And while I believe our culture has come a long way in this area, we've still got a ways to go especially in faith communities. Churches should be the safest place for the wounded, the hurting, the the weak, the imperfect to come to receive love and support as they walk toward increased emotional and spiritual healing and growth. We all need that, right? Doesn't that include all of us, the weak, the hurting, the wounded, the imperfect? And to create those safe places, For ourselves and for others, we're going to need to begin unpacking some of the lies we've been told, or maybe that we've absorbed without realizing it. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm by no means an expert, but I have done enough research. I've walked beside enough people. I've heard enough stories and experiences to know many of the lies that keep people from getting the emotional and relational support that they need. There's still some stigma when it comes to mental illness, which I both understand, but I also find a bit, I don't know, ironic, considering the percentage of people, strong, mature Christ followers included, that struggle with mental health challenges, whether that's anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, According to the National Institute of Mental Health, one out of five adults live with mental illness. And I'm going to guess that the number is actually higher, that there are those who maybe didn't fill out the survey, who maybe are in denial, who don't recognize that they're struggling with a mental health challenge, who maybe didn't fill out the survey honestly or correctly. And mental health experts tell us this number has been increasing over the past few years and probably will continue to increase. Because, y'all, we have been dealing with some stuff. You can't go through a global pandemic, which for many led to relational isolation, uncertainty, confronting their sense of mortality, disrupted rhythms, maybe loss of jobs, just everything that was involved that we've all experienced over the past few years. You can't go through all that and not be affected. It has been a rough season. And many of us are still trying to get our feet under us and are struggling to find joy and peace and really reestablish some of those rhythms. My goal today is to open up conversations, really, and to dispel, hopefully, some of the lies that hinder our progress and maybe even cause us to adopt shame. You ready? Okay, so the first lie we're going to talk about is only really messed up people get counseling. Oh, man, is that False. So false. I would say the really messed up people are the ones who don't get counseling, who think they can manage their pain, their relational challenges, their life transitions on their own. So I'm currently in grad school and I am pursuing a counseling degree. Part of my assignments involve watching these videos created by this professor with a doctorate in counseling. And he wrote 
He wrote one of my textbooks. So he's a guy who should have it all together, right? He's successful. He has way too many titles and associations behind his name for me to even mention here. He's obviously super intelligent. He also is clearly well-known and well-respected in the counseling profession and in academia as a whole. So certainly someone like that wouldn't need counseling, right? Well, in the first video I watched, he must have referenced six or seven counselors that he had been to, six or seven, not because he's this horribly messed up person, but rather because he's educated enough to know the benefits of talking things out with someone who's been trained on relational and life issues. A non-biased third person who, who is not really involved in the situation, who can, who can give a non-biased perspective. And to me, this makes perfect sense. We call a plumber when our pipes break, a roofer when our house leaks, a physical trainer when we want to improve our stamina, our strength, and our physique. So why wouldn't we seek out an educated professional when we've got an emotional or a relational challenge? That certainly makes sense to me. And I'm not sure where this lie that only the really messed up people seek counseling, I'm not sure where that came from. I think in part it's the result of our often shallow photoshopped culture, our collective desire to save face, which causes all of us to hide behind masks, pretending that we have it all together when in reality, none of us do. And when we do share vulnerably, like on social media or maybe in Bible study or with our friends, Often we share those things, those struggles that we think are maybe common or more socially acceptable, and we keep those big things to ourselves, thinking that everyone else is doing great, that they've got the perfect marriage, perfect relationships with their kids, with their family, with their coworkers. We've got a distorted view of humanity, and honestly, we're all part of the problem. And I'm speaking to myself as well. Every time you and I hide behind our mobile devices, pretending we've got it all together, we're perpetuating the very culture that hinders our freedom. What if you and I had the courage to be part of the solution, to open conversations regarding mental health, and to normalize therapy? A few years ago, a friend who serves on staff at a local church told me about a freeing and eye-opening activity that her congregation engaged in. So they handed out these surveys, and on the surveys, to everybody, like in the sanctuary, and on these surveys were questions like, I battle anxiety, yes or no, I struggle with depression, I've had an abortion, I have a porn addiction, I get panic attacks. I don't remember what all the questions were, but, but they touched on a lot of the struggles that humans tend to face. And then the people, they answered these surveys anonymously and then deposited them, I think maybe like in a basket or something. And once they'd done that, the, the surveys were redistributed among the people so that no one had their own paper and everybody else had a survey filled out by somebody else. Then the pastor told everyone to stand up when he named an item that was marked on their paper. And so this gave them the courage to be real. And it also showed them that they were not alone. Far from it. By the time the activity concluded, nearly everyone, if not everyone, I don't remember, was standing. And can you imagine how freeing it was that to when something that you struggled with was called and to look around and see all these people standing, just that recognition that you're not alone, that other people have that same struggle. We are not alone in our struggles. And our struggle, it does not make us 
defective. It makes us human, humans who are living in a sin-tainted, broken world. We've all, we've all been hurt, right? And we've all developed some falsehoods. We've all adopted unhealthy behaviors, unhealthy behaviors that maybe served us in our past environment that allowed us to cope, but that are no longer effective for us where we're at now. And this is true for all of us. We've all got issues. The difference is some people are working on those issues in a healthy and educated way, whereas others are kind of hiding, remaining in isolation, and remaining stuck. If we're ashamed of seeing a counselor, ashamed to tell others we're seeing a counselor, then like I said before, we are part of the problem. To course correct, we're going to need to unpack our views, those that we have absorbed, listening to others, and, and also looking at what experiences have created our ideas or, or these barriers within us. And we might want to just really sit with Jesus on that and say, Lord, like, show me why this causes me so much shame. Take me deep so that I can begin to move forward. And ultimately, we'll have to put our well-being, our peace, and our freedom above everybody else's opinions, or rather our assumptions regarding their opinions, because most likely 90% of the judgment that we think we'll experience exists solely in our minds. And if someone does judge us, well, that's on them. That just shows their ignorance and often their dysfunction. God might be calling you and I to be trailblazers, those who demonstrate what it looks like to courageously and intentionally seek health. I'm reminded of the bleeding woman from Mark chapter 5. Jody Bailey and I discussed her story in episode 52 titled The Courage to be Vulnerable. You might want to take a listen to that episode if you haven't already done so. To paraphrase, scripture tells us this poor woman had been menstruating for 12 years and in her culture, that would have made her unclean. Everybody would have viewed her as unclean, dirty, which means her condition, which would have already been super hard already, probably caused a great deal of shame and isolation. And what do we do most often when we feel ashamed? We hide. We isolate ourselves to protect ourselves from rejection. And I'm sure this woman was tempted to do that. And maybe that was even how she lived, in isolation for most of the time. But then... Jesus came to town, surrounded by a large crowd, a crowd that probably contained a lot of quote-unquote religious men who would have intentionally avoided her for fear that should they accidentally brush up against her, her uncleanness would make them dirty. So can you imagine how that would have felt like to know that, that people viewed you that way, that they thought that if they were even to accidentally touch you, they would suddenly become dirty? Well, risking rejection and potentially public humiliation, the Bible says that she came up behind Jesus, which probably meant that she had to push and finagle her way through the crowd, and she touched his cloak, knowing a simple touch from the Savior could heal her and make her clean. And that's precisely what happened. Verse 30 states, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people coming against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. I believe he did this to call this poor woman out of hiding, to break her shame. Verse 33 says, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And Jesus responded, daughter, your faith has healed you daughter. He called her 
daughter. And she's the only person recorded in scripture whom Jesus called by that name. That is precious. It's like he was saying, hey, I know you've been rejected. I know you're tempted to own that label, rejected, discarded, broken, dirty. But I'm calling you daughter right here, right now, in front of all these people. It took a lot of courage for her to simply step outside of her home. And it took a lot of courage for her to walk down that street. It took a lot of courage for her to press through that crowd. And it took courage for her to touch Jesus, this super clean, holy man. And then it took courage to step out into the open when he called her. Each step took great courage. But I guarantee, had we been able to ask her after the fact, she would have said it was so worth the risk. Freedom and healing is worth the risk. Healing for big things, maybe past trauma, freedom from debilitating anxiety like I once experienced with my OCD, and healing and freedom from quote-unquote minor challenges and issues as well. And so maybe you're wondering, okay, how do I know if I should seek counseling? Well, here are some indications listed by the American Psychological Association that you might benefit from counseling. One, your thinking about or coping with an issue occupies an hour or more of your day. Two, the issue causes you embarrassment or makes you want to avoid others. Three, the issue has decreased your quality of life. Four, the issue has negatively affected your work or your school Five, you've developed habits to cope. According to mental health experts, fear of societal rejection is one of the most common reasons why people don't seek counseling or therapy. But it seems to me there should be a much greater stigma attached to remaining unhealthy. Therapy is a way to become the best version of yourself, to take determined steps towards the life that you want, to honestly and accurately evaluate those things that hinder you, and to learn ways to overcome those things. Now, lie number two, just pray more and everything will be fine. If you have been in the faith community for any length of time, you've probably heard this or you've probably received this message, if not verbally, then just kind of by attitudes that you've witnessed and maybe you've even you've even given this message to yourself. And there is so much pain many times attached to this lie because if we believe it, then we'll have a tendency to feel rejected by God. And that is a deep pain. If we believe this lie and we're doing all the right things, so we're going to church, we're reading our Bibles, we're praying, we're memorizing scripture, and we're still struggling with depression or anxiety, whatever it is, then we might just conclude that God's displeased with us or that his grace wasn't truly sufficient. If he, for whatever reason, if he is choosing not to help us or not to walk beside us. And as a result, we can too easily develop a works-based way of living. And that is so, so defeating, so exhausting. And it's so contrary to God's grace and his heart. This lie can make our faith journey super confusing. It can be hard to recognize faulty messages when we already doubt ourselves and God. And especially like if you come from a place of trauma, this might be a big part of your story. And also if you struggle with anxiety and depression, it can be a big part of your story, especially if we measure our relationship with God based on how we feel. If we feel close to him or happy or at peace, rather than basing our relationship on truth as revealed in scripture and the cross 
of Christ. Truth says, if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, if we have trusted in him for salvation, we are made new. We are declared righteous. We are chosen, loved, and adored. That's what scripture says. So it doesn't matter what our mind is telling us. It doesn't matter what anybody else is telling us. We're going to choose the truth of scripture. And and when we doubt those things, we're going to focus not on our behavior, because grace isn't based on our behavior. We're going to focus on the cross of Jesus Christ, because that is what Christ's grace is based on. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So let's unpack the underlying message that this lie presents, that that everything will be fine if we pray enough or maybe if we do all the right religious things or we have enough faith. I mean, there's a lot of variations that we could attach to this. It's basically saying that if our relationship with Jesus is strong, then we won't have any struggles. And depression and anxiety and other mental health challenges, there's just so much more complex than that. So for some of us, our challenges might be entirely or almost entirely spiritual. If we're not living connected to Jesus Christ, if we haven't trusted in him for salvation, if we're not actively trying to live in his will, and I and I don't I want to be careful saying that because that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect in his will, but but if we're if we're living in in intentional disobedience, then we probably won't feel at peace. We probably won't feel just that sense of of joy in his spirit. We will feel unsettled. We will feel anxious and, and life will probably feel dark, maybe even hopeless because we won't be living as our authentic selves. So yeah, there, sometimes our anxiety can have, our depression can have a spiritual element. Others of us might be dealing with some super hard stuff like a global pandemic. Maybe the loss of loved ones, loss of a job, a rebellious child, a severed relationship, moving. For many, moving can feel like something of a death. And you know, it doesn't really matter if your neighbor moves all the time and if they're totally fine with it. That doesn't mean that you should be fine with that any more than your struggle with moving means that your neighbor should struggle. We need to stop judging our and everyone else's feelings and give ourselves space to feel, space to be. Our feelings are not sinful. It's how we behave that leads to sin. And if we're confused on that, then we probably need help untangling negative messages we've received, likely in childhood. And this can be especially true if we've come from an abusive home, where often those from abusive homes are punished for feeling, and they're told that they are bad, and they're, and they're taught to carry a lot of shame. 
And this leads to my next point. Your mental health challenges might stem from past trauma, from unresolved hurts in your past. And that can take a lot of time, a lot of counseling, and a lot of unpacking to heal from. And again, I'm going to say don't judge your struggle based on someone else's. Like, don't say, well, you know what? My parents, they didn't abuse me, and -and so-and-so had it so much worse, so why am I struggling? It doesn't really matter. All that matters is, hey, you're struggling, and God loves you, and he sees you, and he wants to help you heal and move towards increased freedom. That's the focus, not like whose whose struggle is is more valid, quote-unquote, than somebody else's. And just all of that can take so much time to heal from. It can take time and counseling and perseverance. But to feel shame from that, from the damage we've experienced by someone else's sin because of someone else's actions, that would be the equivalent of feeling ashamed for a broken leg caused in a car crash. Our broken areas, our wounded places don't mean we're defective. It means that we're hurt and that we need to heal. And we need to just give ourselves grace and space to do that. And others of us, we might be dealing with a chemical imbalance. Our brain is an organ and like any other part of our body, it's subject to illness, to imperfections. When we have diabetes or high blood pressure, we don't try to muster up and fight it through willpower or prayer alone. We get help. And sometimes we need help to get better mentally and and to process things emotionally as well. And here's the thing. While the Bible is super, super, super important, it's a book filled with truths that we absolutely must base our lives and our faith on, it doesn't really discuss trauma. It doesn't discuss chemical imbalances. It doesn't discuss diabetes or breast cancer. It doesn't talk about how to discuss cyberbullying with your children. It doesn't talk about where to go for the best internet screeners. It does, however, encourage us to seek wisdom from the wise. And there are wise people in numerous fields, in ministry, in medical facilities, in counseling centers, and financial planning organizations. And if we're going to say that we must use scripture alone to deal with mental health or relational challenges, then I'm going to suggest we need to be consistent and we need to apply that same logic to all areas of our lives. Agricultural areas, if we're farmers, construction, if we're contractors, education, if we're teachers. Although even then, even if we were to try to do that to just apply, like, just use scripture alone to educate us as teachers or construction workers or farmers, whatever it was, we would still face a bit of a contradiction because scripture itself tells us to seek wise counsel. And we need to understand mental illness is not a sin. In fact, many of the prophets suffered from depression, and many times understandably so. Elijah, he reached a place of such exhaustion, such fear and disappointment that he wanted to die. And he was one of the most powerful men of God throughout scripture, the most powerful man of God at the time. And note this, God did not condemn Elijah for his emotional struggle. Instead, he tended to his needs. He made sure that Elijah received the rest and the nourishment that he needed. And then he brought Elijah to himself, spoke to him tenderly, softly. And then he gave Elijah a replacement and he whisked him up to heaven, which seems to me like he was saying, hey, I get that this has been super hard and you've been faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now come and celebrate with me. Join your master's happiness. 
And then there was Jeremiah, another godly, powerful, and obedient prophet. He cursed the day that he was born. Can you imagine if he'd been sitting in our Sunday school classes, in our Bible classes, like what kind of quote-unquote advice or, or rebuking he might have received? Now, some of you who struggle with anxiety, you may have had someone condemn you using scripture, or maybe you've read a particular verse yourself and felt condemned. Maybe you've read something like Romans 14, 23, which states whatever isn't of faith is sin. So whatever isn't of faith, what what does that mean? Well, to answer that question, we need to read the full chapter and actually the full book of Romans. We need to understand what Paul was saying, what he was addressing in order to understand this statement, just like we would with any other letter, right? We wouldn't we wouldn't expect to be able to pop in on a phone conversation for like one or two sentences and accurately know what the person was talking about. We wouldn't expect to pull up a, a, a school textbook and read maybe a math book and read like one portion of a formula and understand how to apply it. Well, scripture, to, in order to accurately understand scripture, we need to read it in its context. And were we to do that, we would understand that Paul was mediating between believers who ate meat purchased in the marketplace and those who called that practice a sin. So he was telling them if they felt it was a sin to eat that meat, then it was a sin for them because they were violating their own conscience. Therefore, their actions did not come from their faith, from their obedience to God. He was not addressing anyone's fear or anxiety. So what about the church? Can we receive all the help and all the counsel we need from the church? Now, that's a complicated question with a complicated answer. So first and foremost, I would just encourage you, if that's a question you have, if that's a route you're, you're, you're contemplating, really take it to Jesus and pray through that and, and kind of talk it through and, and and find out like what level of training and experience and, and wisdom do those who, who are on staff and who engage in counseling, what, what level of training do they have? Some of you will benefit from talking with someone on pastoral staff. You might feel more comfortable speaking to someone you know and who knows something of your history, maybe of your family dynamics. And your pastor might be more than capable of helping you through, like, I don't know, maybe certain marital issues, learning to set boundaries, to deal with basic parenting challenges or to or life transitions or to make decisions. But they might not have the training and education needed to deal with post-traumatic stress disorder, healing from past trauma, Clinical depression, mental health training varies widely with some people, some pastors having little to no training and others receiving maybe a year, maybe two years. And while it might be helpful for your pastor to know you personally, that could also pose a challenge. Maybe you're ashamed of that. Maybe you don't want them to know you on that level. And maybe maybe you know enough about yourself to know like if you were to pursue counseling with them, you'd put on a front. And so then it wouldn't really be all that helpful for you. And, and maybe if they know too much about your history or your family dynamics and maybe from the wrong people, they might have inadvertently, unintentionally formed biases and preconceived notions because we're human, right? Like, but that just happens sometimes. 
And as far as I know, pastoral staff aren't required to adhere to a counseling code of ethics, whereas mental health professionals are, a code that once violated would cost them their license. Now, I'm not saying never see your pastor, never talk to your pastor, nor am I in any way downplaying their importance. What I am saying is prayerfully consider their area of expertise, your challenge, and how effective it would be for you to see them. Recognize when your challenge or need falls within their strengths and their capabilities and when maybe you need to go and get help elsewhere. Okay, so lie number four, just try harder. Just take your thoughts captive, make them obedient to Christ, think on positive things, think on praiseworthy things. Does that sound familiar? Well, taking control of our thought life is super, super helpful and important. In fact, I have encouraged that through numerous episodes. Doing so won't fix all of our problems. And being unable to, quote, change your attitude, to turn your frown upside down, or to go to your proverbial happy place, that doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you sinful. It makes you human. Did you know that Jesus struggled with fear? He did. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Scripture says he began to be grieved and distressed. Well, the original Greek word our Bibles translate as grieved, it was the same word used to describe the pain that Eve would face in childbirth in Genesis 3, verse 16. And it suggests deep, severe, and intense sorrow. And the word our Bibles translate as distressed, or as the NIV Bible phrases it, troubled, it can also mean to experience fear. And in the next verse, he said his soul was deeply grieved to the point of death. And we know Jesus never sinned, right? Which means his fear and sorrow were not sin. They were normal emotions, considering what he was facing. And notice, not once did God say, buck up, son, just pray more, take your thoughts captive, and you will be fine. Yes, Jesus did pray more, and we absolutely should turn to God when we're struggling. But not once did the Father condemn or chastise him. Instead, he sent angels to comfort and to strengthen him. In other words, God the Father showed God the Son care and compassion in his time of need. And he will do the same for us. Jesus told us the Father loves us just as he loves the Son. He sees our pain and he's compassionate regarding our struggle. So again, while learning to control our thoughts is super helpful, no matter what we face, doing so won't necessarily eradicate our anxiety or our depression. And honestly, some of you may not be able to slow your thoughts without medication or therapy or both. You may not be able to overcome your depression without therapy or medication or both. You might need to attack your mental health challenges numerous ways simultaneously, spiritually, physically, through therapy and being alert to your thought patterns and probably for a lot longer than maybe you would like to admit or to realize. I think sometimes we expect that if we do something, especially if that thing was really hard to do, that we'll immediately feel better or we'll feel better in a month or we'll feel better in a year. And sometimes these things take time. It can take us years to heal and to grow. And that's kind of, it's, it's, it's a progressive process. So we need to be patient. We need to persevere and we need to give ourselves grace on the journey. And I know that can feel overwhelming. Sometimes I was just talking to someone just the other day 
about how I still struggle with certain triggers and, and with trust issues and insecurities and, and, and numerous things. And, and my friend said, really? Like, you've been working on this all this time and you still struggle? And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I probably will struggle until, until I reach heaven. But I have progressively gotten much, much better. And I, I intend to continue getting better. So again, we can either stay stuck and, and feeling overwhelmed and kind of give up, or we can say, you know what, yeah, this is going to be a journey, but it's a journey that consistently gets better. Lie number five, counselors and psychologists overdiagnose. I would say the opposite is true. I think they tend to underdiagnose, or actually more specifically, that mental illness itself is underdiagnosed largely because a lot of people aren't getting the help they need or they aren't being completely honest with their struggles. And I think sometimes we think, okay, well, if it's if if a counselor says I have depression, I must be like a huge mess. When really, no, you you are just struggling with depression. Or like if I have anxiety, I must be this huge mess. It's like, no, you just kind of have some some things that make you anxious or you or you battle anxiety. And and counselors do recognize the importance of a diagnosis. They recognize they, they don't take it lightly. So I do think we need to trust that. And if we don't trust the counselor that to make an accurate diagnosis, to really be honest regarding our struggle based on their education and their experience, then we need to see a different counselor. We need to find one that we can trust. And the counselor, he's, they're not there to like label us. They're there to help us. Like I said earlier, to build the type of life and, and relationships that we want. But like with any field, there are good and there are bad counselors, which means it might take a bit of trial and error to find someone that we're comfortable with, that we trust, that really clicks with us. But don't let one bad or insufficient counselor sour your view of the entire profession because there are a lot of amazing Jesus-loving therapists out there, a lot of Jesus-loving therapists who also live according to Scripture and are led by the Holy Spirit. That said, a therapist will need to provide insurance companies with a reason for your visit. Your insurance won't pay you just for wanting someone to talk to you, and because of that, they might need to list why you're there. And that could pose some risks. So for example, if you end up in a custody battle, your ex could make your could have your mental health records subpoenaed if they know you're going to therapy first. And if that makes you uncomfortable and you'd rather pay out of pocket, tell the counselor that. Most likely they'll be totally fine with that. And if not, well, you can always find someone else. And the last lie I want to bring up is all therapists want to do is dig up stuff from your past. Now, if it's clear to them that your current issues are rooted in past hurts and unhealthy habits form, then yeah, they'll probably want to kind of explore that and, and maybe look at some of the roots of, of your struggles. And all therapists, they have different ideas on how best to help people experience increased health. Some will focus on problem solving for today, on helping couples work on relational issues, on helping a client establish boundaries, or develop a clear sense of self of knowing what they are and aren't responsible for. Getting through a challenging season in life or processing a major transition. Still others might help you unpack faulty thinking, which could focus on your thought processes in the present, or it could involve looking back at how those lies may have been formed. If you're concerned about those things, I would suggest discussing your concerns with a counselor. Ask them for their philosophy and what to expect. 
and recognize that it will probably feel a bit uncomfortable sitting in that counseling chair for the first time, maybe even the second time, maybe even the third time, especially if you're coming in with shame, but it will get easier. And most likely life in general will get easier as well. And ultimately, like I said before, take your concerns to Jesus, seek his perspective, talk to others that you know have gone to therapy. And if you don't know anyone who goes to counseling or has gone to counseling, recognize that you might be hearing a narrowed slanted view from a subset of people who don't really have a lot of knowledge and understanding related to mental health. So you might need to widen your circle. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you love us so deeply, that you want us living free. We know you will guide us towards that freedom. So give us the courage to pursue it and give us the courage to help to create safe places for others so that they have the courage to get help as well. Thank you for your love. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. I hope today just gave you, if you maybe are already in counseling, maybe the courage to kind of share your story with others so that they can experience freedom as well. If you're maybe been thinking about counseling, maybe it gives you some things to to think about and maybe that a little courage to take that first step. And if you haven't already done so, I would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. Then you won't miss a single episode. And I'd also love it if you would rate it. That encourages us and it also helps others to find it. And next week, you're going to want to listen because we have Philip Yancey coming on to talk about some deep religious hurts that he experienced throughout his childhood and growing up and how he had the courage to grab hold of authentic faith. So you're going to want to listen to that. Until next time, may you live with the courage of one who truly has been set free. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, Just head over to lifeaudio.com. There's no better way to start your day than spending time in God's Word and in prayer. Don't know where to start? We have a free daily prayer podcast created to help you do just that. The Your Daily Prayer podcast delivers a thoughtful, devotional, and timely prayer to you seven days a week. Gain inspiration, faith, and encouragement with daily messages in 10 minutes or less. To start listening now, search Your Daily Prayer on your favorite podcast app or visit lifeaudio.com.